think about Root, the thing that springs to mind now for me is the loading screen of Root Digital. Okay. Because I've seen it so many times that it like haunts my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I love that they did is after they added the expansions, they increased the size of the Vagabond band, yeah. the Vagabond. And uh, now it has like all the individuals. My question is, what are they going to do when they add the other three? Like, what kind of like peripheral instruments will they be playing? <laughs> There'll be like a symphony in the background, right? <laughs> or a choir. A choir Ooh, of hundreds. Okay. Yeah, some backing vocals would be good. Yeah, mm-hmm. a whole percussion section, you know. We got somebody on like the stand-up bass drum. Absolutely. Uh, One badger with the with the uh what's the biggest drum where they just hit it once? <laughs> Timpani. Yeah, the timpani. Dum, yeah. Dum, dum, dum. yeah, I'm gonna have the Harrier with a djembe. <laughs> yeah, the Guardian on like the gong. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Just like appears very majestic. <laughs> The Vagaband, is that what it's called? Or did you name it that? It just It's just right there. It's on the table. All right. Well, Leader Games, if you're watching, you can take that one. Well, That's a good one. Speaking of Vagabands, you guys, this is just too good of a transition not to transition into some root news. Root news. Uh, by the way, this is Woodland War Machine. It's a podcast about root. We're talking about root news now. Okay. Here's the deal. <laughs> The Songs for the Woodland Volume 1 is now streaming on all platforms. So this was a song contest uh, to write songs about Root. It was compiled into an album. This happened last summer, I think. Kyle and I, both huge songwriting fans and Root fans, were a little too busy at that time to submit. Yeah, I think the most prolific songwriters amongst the Root community did not participate. (laughs) Huge bummer, huge bummer. But shouts to Opie's Funeral, who helped to organize the entire thing and followed through hard enough to form this into an album that then is released on all streaming platforms. Yeah. Um, Check it out. It is such a, like, warm-hearted collection of Root creativity and fan content that is worth a listen. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, put it on while you're playing some Root. It, it It's just aw- an awesome project. I really hope they do a volume two. I, we, we, we promise we will submit for volume two. It's on all platforms right now. I see it on Spotify. It's called Songs for the Woodland Volume One. I'll provide a link to that in the description. Yeah. That's a full-on Vagabond right there on their album art, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Describe it for the listeners, Jake. Because they can't. Oh see. well, there's like a goat band leader slash conductor, mm-hmm. and there's uh, someone from I think every faction there, uh, chirping along. Oh no, there's some there's some just clearing folk too, denizens, <laughs> rabbits, clearing folk. <laughs> what we, they're denizens, right? It's, Is that what we call? We them? had a little bit of a break from the podcast, <laughs> and our terminology isn't quite up to speed yet. Clearing folk. <laughs> Um, definitely worth a try. Uh, the songs are themed around the different factions, which is kind of fun. Um, I really like the opening song, uh, Industry and Misery, which is the Marquise <laughs> de Cat uh, song. <laughs> uh, actually, that's Biopi's Funeral, I'm pretty sure. Oh, very cool. Check. Yeah. That is, yes. It is. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, and that's way overdue. I think that's been out for a while, and uh, Opie <laughs> reached out to me. He's like, hey, can you mention this? And I was like, I can't believe we haven't. We're always scraping for root news, and we should have been mentioning this long before. Go listen where you listen to music. (laughs) Yeah, all platforms. What a big claim. (laughs) Moving on from stuff that makes us feel warm and fuzzy to stuff that makes us feel, I don't know, frustrated, disappointed. 
Sam, tell us about your tournament game. <laughs> okay, so it's been a while since it's happened. A lot of people forgot. Some people may be thinking, did he take off from the pod to save himself the embarrassment of having to talk about his tournament game? I lost my tournament game in kind of whoopsadaisical fashion. <laughs> um, I was playing the birds. I was having a pretty good game. I started out double building. I was going pretty aggressive. I was all set up for a nice, smooth turmoil transition going against uh, some turtling moles, which is probably one of my least favorite factions to go against. So it was an intense game. I was very focused on it. Uh, and then the crows won by flipping for 17 points or something. <laughs> Uh, they flipped all the way to 29 oh, no. or something and uh, battled me to win. Well, the crows flipping to win was uh, something kind of crucial in there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some might have said that I said on this podcast that that's not something that's allowed to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you would think that I would see it coming and mm -hmm. say something about it. Even even though I will defend myself, I I didn't have a lot I could have done about it other mm -hmm. than letting the other two players know who also would probably have a, a an interest in stopping this crow player from winning on their next turn. But as the birds, you were a little bit paralyzed with how to get over to them, right? Because they, as I recall, they were plotting all over on the other side of the world. It was more that I didn't have the cards to guess. And... He the crows player wisely distracted you by encouraging you to fight the moles, the other red faction at the table, right? Well, so it was a threat game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Walrus Law, all credit to Walrus Law. Very good game. They said mm -hmm. after the game, they're like, you know, I, I, I did the crow strategy you guys suggested on the podcast. <laughs> Um, so yeah, oh, I love I love losing to your own suggestions. Oh, I know. Yeah, it was all <laughs> it was just I mean, literally eating crow like it was the oh. most <laughs> I couldn't imagine. And I as soon as it happened, as soon as I saw it was happening, I was like, oh, no, chat's going to be going crazy. I could I didn't see this coming. I mean, Kyle, you watched the game. What what was I thinking? Yeah, I commentated on the game. Yeah. Um I, I we were we were very impressed with Walrus Law's table talk. I think this was, was a table talk win straight up. Yeah. Um mm -hmm. I think everyone played pretty well. It was a little bit heads down for a minute and then mm -hmm. it got kind of heated in the in the sense that the table talk got a little bit like you know, the, some threats began to emerge and just Walrus Law did such a good job of keeping, I think it was Steve Owen who who played as the duchy. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a wrestler. <laughs> keeping the duchy in the spotlight. You know, he he's like, he's got a chair. He's coming for you. He's going to pull off some kind of suplex. It's the only two things I know about wrestling. <laughs> what What to me was so like important about the game though is what we're talking about which is that it was a table talk victory in a lot of ways like whenever we're theory crafting these factions against each other in board states we're like always assuming everyone will play optimally but that's not what we should always assume especially when there's so much subterfuge going on at the table and the thing is is and, and sam this is not to like knock your performance at all but like truthfully what needed to happen was everyone needed to take a breath take a second and just like count the numbers around the board, Walrus Law <laughs> made sure that no one had enough mental space to do that. That is an active choice that, that Walrus Law made there. 
And I think that's actually so smart, right? Like you're just constantly keep, you're like nudging your opposition and trying to Mm -hmm. say like, hey, like we should work together, like just keeping the ball in the air and keep them distracted. Yeah, it was it was just enough to seem safe. Until I remember he was making me debate whether I should turmoil or not. And it was like plugged into some deal. I remember he was like, oh, so you're going to go back on our deal. And it was like this moment of like, should I go back on the deal and make Walrus Law upset or should I do you know, what I was planning on doing or whatever it was. But I was asking myself all the wrong questions and not (laughs) asking how many points does Walrus Law have on the table? Yeah. I was just thinking about all this stuff that is not on the same level as how many points can you score? Right, right. Mm -hmm. And he just didn't act like he was going to win. No. And that was the, (laughs) it was brilliant. Oh, that's the best. So good. Yeah. Controlling the spotlight, very important in a game of Root. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you still have another chance because round two of the tournament. Well, it's it's double elimination, right? So you always have a round two of the tournament. Yeah. You've got a round so three. Hopefully, hopefully round three. Yeah. Do I get to play a round two? You yeah. get to play round two. You're automatically through, Jake. Yeah. You're, As right. the, you're, the, you're the one uh, host of the show that's making it through for sure. So by playing a round two, do I get an opportunity to shut out another person from round three if I win? Yeah. Yes. So it's double elimination. If you win two games in a row, then you're sitting pretty, my friend. Yeah, you have two more games to go. You could, you could cool. throw your semis game and it, you'd still be through. <laughs> Whoa, well, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Great. Good to know. Play well, hard. I think it's Always not fight. like there's like levels of the tournament. It's just kind of an outlast thing. Who can stay alive? Oh, I, I, I was unaware so. that was the scoring method. Yeah. I just figured you just had two chances. Yeah, that's it. it. Well, no, it's you have two losses. Once you have two losses, you're out. Yeah, everybody okay. else keeps going. Okay, which I think could get really weird with the numbers. I haven't crunched them, but it seems like that's not going to work out to even numbers. Because if I knock somebody out by, or if less people go in because someone won twice right. in this into the second round, I feel like the brackets are going to get messed up. Right. But it's Garrick. He's got an algorithm for it. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Try it. Mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all I want to do is break break his system. All right. Last piece of Root news. Just wanted to highlight some more content created by folks in the Root community who uh, show up in our Discord and who are contributing to the larger Root biosphere of content. Uh, I am, of course, referring to Nitro Revs. A uh, new-ish YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Nitro just released an ad set video. Really worth a watch. Um, we highlighted uh, Nitro Rev's Badgers and Rats Guide, uh, both of which he posted on his channel. So go check that out right now. It's over on YouTube. Free to watch. Nice intro to ad set covering the nitty-gritty details in a way that is so friendly and explained just incredibly clearly. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Nitro Rev is like having all this content ready for when Marauder drops, essentially. Because for those who aren't playing online and don't have access to the mod yet, they're waiting for their physical copy. These videos are going to be ready to go, and it's by someone who's been playing with them for a long time. So it's not just somebody who's like regurgitating what's in the rule book. It's someone who has seen these things play out and is explaining them really well. So shouts to Nitro. Uh, great work on that ad set video. Uh, can't wait to see more. 
Excellent. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the description as well. And is that the end of Root News? That is. That is. Well, then let's get to the meat of this episode. It's a return of the Versus Guide. Versus. That's right. We're looking through the scary end of the telescope on all the factions. And this one is no different. The scary end of the telescope? Yeah. This one's, this side has teeth. This side is out of focus and unclear. It makes things look smaller. It's dark. <laughs> I'm looking inside my own pocket. <laughs> We've had no catchphrase nor sound effect for the versus guide up until this point where we just did a bunch of bad ones. Versus. <laughs> versus. Uh, I do like that it's sort of like a like a macho scary guy. <laughs> it's like, like, it's our voice the for the versus guides. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, t- this versus guide for those of you who click on random episodes and don't read the title is the one about the lizard cult my personal favorite faction let's learn how to take them down yeah let's dismantle a cult today gentlemen yeah Yeah, let's free some minds okay (laughs) there's a lot of people talking about a dragon god i ain't never seen a dragon god okay (laughs) it's time to get these people some freedom okay (laughs) So the lizard cult is probably one of the least threatening, weirdly hard to understand what they're even capable of factions in root, right? Mm-hmm. After all, they don't score points well. They require suit majorities in the discard pile, and they can't even move or battle. <laughs> But they do have the ability to replace nearly any one of your buildings from anywhere on the board. And they can convert your warriors and lead them to fight against yourself. So the hope here is that we can avoid being the person that this fragile lizard glass cannon is pointed at. (laughs) Right. So, yes, in in the sense that during a game of Rue, you want to try and be not in the hot seat. Uh, When it comes to the lizards, since they, especially if you're a faction that cares about building slots. Yeah. Lizards can just delete your building and replace it. Yeah. When we talk about punitive mechanisms, if your punitive mechanism is triggered on buildings being places or not being removed, you're looking at the lizard cult with with a little bit of side eye. Yeah. I'm looking (laughs) at you, suited recruit in decree. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at you, price of failure. (laughs) So, you, Sam, you described the lizards as being not that threatening, but also incredibly threatening. That's right. So they're not very threatening in the ways of, like, they're going to attack or battle you very much or lead the points scoring or threaten to win the game too often. Right. So should why should we even care about dismantling them? Shouldn't we just ignore them and focus on the stronger factions? Uh, yes and no. Uh, you do want, I I would honestly say, I think some of this guide is going to be propping up the lizards just a bit to actually have them have some entanglement with the rest of the crew at the table. Um, because they do have very sharp weapons in that, in that sanctify, in the convert, uh, when they spend their acolytes for those big actions, that can be a game defining moment. And so it's important to pay attention to what they're doing. But it kind of only comes once or twice in the entire game. 
This kind of reminds me of our discussion with the Marquise as well, where it's like, if you go too hard against the Marquise, it's like, what's the point? You're just yeah. letting another faction kind of develop for free and grow without limitation while you're spending all your time focused on a relatively like a faction that can't fight back as well. <laughs> when you first described the lizard cult, though, you described them as a glass cannon. Now, my understanding of that phrase is that they're a very fragile, but also potentially very powerful. Right. So in what ways, I guess if they're super powerful, potentially, why would we leave them alone? Um, I think leaving them alone isn't that dangerous mm-hmm. uh, because there are very easy ways to point that cannon at someone else. And that really comes through the outcast suit, right? Because the lizards can only do these big moves, the sanctifies and the converts in the outcast clearings. If you can throw the discard pile into a different suit, Mm -hmm. then you can point that cannon away from your precious buildings. Sure, sure. So in terms of our threat level, Sam, what what are we looking at here? Well, let's talk about it. Let's get into today's threat level. (laughs) (laughs) Just a car alarm at this point. It's it's always (laughs) been just a car alarm. Fire. Siren. Fire. (laughs) Fire. Fire. We've done this bit already. Yeah, a hundred times. Here's the deal, guys. The threat level here, I would describe as green. Ooh. Maybe even forest green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so slightly like yeah, transparent yeah. green. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I almost said like the color of the lizard meeple, kind of like yellow green just because of those threats. But honestly, I think it's just safer to say that they are, are threat level green. Okay. So I've always wondered about this because like I tend to ignore the lizards because I feel in my especially my early games when I like started playing this game, I didn't understand them. So I was like, well, not going to (laughs) try because I'm still trying to understand my factions. But you feel like you've always been able to get away with just kind of letting them be and making sure that other players, as soon as they warn you about them is when you pay attention. Yeah, that was my beginning understanding of them. And you haven't really changed that for me too much at this point, because it sounds like they are only going to get out of control if things go their way. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a very specific way the lizards are going to win. They're not going to really win from ahead uh, because they're pretty easy to stop. Now, cut cut to my next tournament game where I get trounced <laughs> by the lizards. But like, I, I, I do think that because Fear of the Faithful is so punishing and everything with the lizard cult revolves around the gardens, mm-hmm. it just can be pretty clear what to do. You get in there. And you take them out. You could be giving them some acolytes in the process, which could be scary, which is why you don't want to save it for too late in the game. Because sometimes they can use those acolytes from being checked to kind of close out the game. Mm -hmm. But as long as you get them before they hit, you know, mid-20s or, you know, I would say 22 or less. If you hit them then, then you should be fine. And that's the thing about the lizards is that they they are... From a bird's eye view, they're just like a very static faction. Wherever they plant themselves, that's where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the incentives or kind of objectives of the lizards is to build up a presence around those gardens and just make it super duper annoying to like hack through a bunch of warriors in order to get to the good stuff. 
And they'll be showing off ambushes in their hand and stuff like that. Just any way they can to deter you from going after their gardens, the most precious of all resources for them. The mechanism right. by which they score points. Right. And uh, get increased card draw, which is how their cards are their actions. So it's all just so tightly wound around the idea of having those gardens. Mm-hmm. And they, those gardens just stay put. The lizards don't move around the map that much usually. So right. wherever those centers of concentration are, it's probably going to be like that for the whole game. Yeah. Now, obviously, add set is going to change the lizard's start a bit. Now that they start with some acolytes, they get to choose their starting clearing a little bit more, and they get to draft their hand. That is all hugely beneficial to the lizard cult start, but we're still not seeing the lizards compete on par with some of the other factions in the winter tournament. Um, They have only won one of the 15 games in which they've appeared. (laughs) Well... Okay, yeah, go ahead. And I mean, it's a small sample size. It really is. Yeah. Um, and I think the whole other tournaments, other than Lily's win with the Lizards, has been sparse for the Lizards before that as well. I think similar to the Corvid Conspiracy, uh, which, you know, kind of have a, and I know I'm saying this, have a, like, solved way to stop them. I'm aware <laughs> that I lost to them in the tournament. Okay, but uh, it, it does... It does feel similar in that, like, a player that is uh, high level and is actually paying attention will be able to stop it from happening. Yeah. If anything, I just think that in in tournaments, a lot of times it's a lot more, um, you know, to to use a lizard's term, it's a lot more cold blooded, and you can you can just see when they're a threat, mm-hmm. and then stomp the gardens. If, if they're in that type of position. I think that's what it is, is everybody's paying attention to numbers on the table pretty frequently. Uh, you know, uh, crow plots excluded. But like when the lizards really amass, it's a very uh, evident thing, kind of like when the moles do, too. And, and it starts becoming a visual indicator at the table, I think. Mm hmm. I guess I don't know, like if it's very easy to stop them in a in a game where in a tournament game where everybody's talking about stopping people, that's probably what it is. It's like the the frequency of discussion of stopping blank occurs more often in a tournament game. Therefore, because lizards are so easy to check, it happens more often to them. Sure. But then maybe the game is when do you spend the effort to like really go in and do that? Like when do you know that the lizards are actually a problem? And it's not just mm-hmm. your opponents trying to it's deflect timing. attention right, onto right, the lizards. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get into it. Yeah, so it seems like why even have a versus guide if they're so easy to stop, right? Hit uh, garden. <laughs> Squidmark said uh, the versus guide should just be play root normally and try to win, <laughs> which isn't that a far from guide. what we're going to no. advise. <laughs> well, maybe the way to beat the lizards is just to outrace them, right? Because in terms of scoring points, they tend to be on a bit of a slower arc than the rest of the factions. And that's something to keep in mind, that a longer game plays right into the hands of the lizard cult. But that's Sam, Kyle, this is the versus guide. We are talking about how to stop that faction. We have to stop them. The advice for stopping them can't be let them be. that was a lot of our woodland alliance (laughs) here's the thing in in a 1v1 all you can do is just outrace them (laughs) so right so the threat level of green just means go ahead just let them do what they want (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) this sounds like a uh 
a propaganda from the lizard cult <laughs> that they wrote this versus I, guide. I, I wrote it. I, yeah, you know, I, I'm just saying, lay, lay off the lizards. Yeah, right? Look at their peaceful gardens. They're not bothering anybody. Just, just them let them do it. <laughs> they, I think they should be low on the list of factions that you attack early in the game, at least. Yeah, especially early on. It's just a waste of your time. They're already dragging behind. Right. You know, like it doesn't make sense to spend your game effort on a faction that has a low percentage chance of winning overall. Yeah, I'm trying to this is remember this. These versus guides are how do we play with this faction in the game? Not just how we destroy that faction. Sure. But it's also but part of this is also don't let them win. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that part's the easy part of the guide. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but what about the acolytes? Thanks right. for asking me. <laughs> sure. Acolytes can be used to make game altering checks on other factions at the table. But, and this is what Nev says here, acolytes never last as long as you think they will. And it's true that they save from turn to turn. You don't have to spend them, but they don't really go as far as the threat of what the acolytes are capable of. This is in reference to outcasts being suited, but not hated essentially is that the, you, the way you phrased it during our Epic trial was that it costs more if it's not hated as opposed to it costs less if it is. Yes. And we're not here to rejudicate any part of our, no. of our courtroom drama. No, we're not here for that at all. No. Right. So in terms of acolytes, here's, they can, replace warriors on the map with their own warriors they can replace buildings on the map with their own buildings or they can move in battle those are the three things the acolytes let you do that's like the dynamic options for the lizards because all of their daylight actions are just peaceful recruiting scoring and building and getting acolytes and sacrificing yeah, dynamic yeah that's too <laughs> dynamic is one way to say it but they're very powerful you can just swap out a building for your building that's one of the most powerful abilities in the game i'd say yeah right and so the rest of the time the lizards are just kind of building up right they're having they're adding warriors they're adding buildings they're scoring a couple of points here and there the acolytes are like the actions that they can do to affect the other factions on the board the, the board state and it, on the surface, it does seem like uh, like the abilities are strong, but they're very limited because the, it costs so much to do each They're strong, action. but expensive. Right. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the times, if a, a good Lizards player is going to leverage the threat of the Acolyte count more than they are going to rely on the execution of the, the threat to be the thing that changes the game. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, like having a big stack of acolytes forces all the opponents at the table to reconsider their moves in case they would overextend and be vulnerable to some kind of lizard's play. Mm -hmm. And anytime the lizards can get the board to calm down, slow the game down, not overextend, just kind of like turtle up, that's usually good for them. Like they they want to kind of gum up the works, keep people at home, not have a lot of conflict. Um, or just have people fight each other and not focus on the lizards. Well, so is that actually one tactic that we're going to talk about today is get going, score points, get the game moving so they can't? Because as we've mentioned before, especially in our lizard guide, is like stretching it out is beneficial for the lizards, right? Yeah. As you said. Fast scoring strategies are probably the best way to mm-hmm. defeat the lizards. Yeah. 
um, in, in kind of like bird's eye view. That's that's what I think the the real Which they can't see strategic imperative is is like score points hate faster. Bird's eye view. They hate, hate it. <laughs> Disdain for heights. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the issue with pushing the pace of the game and racing is, of course, if you're the person out in the lead, then you're the person most likely to be targeted by the faction who needs the game to go longer. Mm hmm. So I agree that that racing is a great strat and you kind of just need the other three factions to be like, we're going to race. And hopefully you're not the one that feels the wrath. Of well, that's the thing. If you encourage the other two factions to race and you aren't a good racing faction or an, aren't in a good racing position, that might not be the best thing. I guess the racing advice is really in the context of what's going on on the board. Right. Right. As all of our advice is always contextual yeah, on yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I can see that point of like, don't get so far ahead that you become a monster threat and their their green level gets highlighted, right? Right. Right. Because let's talk about this. The lizards score slowly. This is something yeah. to keep in mind. Like, it's not unusual for the first turn or even two turns of the lizards to have zero points. Right. They score painfully slowly. Like, I think, are they the slowest scorers in the game yeah. starting out unquestionably? Right? Yeah. I don't think anybody scores they much slower than them. They are just a them. flat line for, like, yeah. multiple turns, and then it, yeah. can, it can go up. They have the potential to score a decent number of points per turn once they've become established. And they can even pop a few at the end if they use their acolytes to sanctify in a new suit or something like that. Yeah, I've had a couple 10-point super turns as the Lizards. Now, granted, I play a lot of Lizards, and those were, like, everything lining up. Um, but it can definitely happen. I think I did that against Jake. I remember I scored in all three suits for six points and crafted both tees for 10. Jeez. Yeah. I probably, I must have forced myself to forget that. Yeah, it was you, me, and Josh. Yeah, I buried that trauma. <laughs> But just to kind of cap off our discussion of Acolytes, the thing the thing with Acolytes is that when the Outcast is hated, they can spend one Acolyte to replace one warrior on the board with a Lizard. And I don't often see this used super duper offensively because there's just no way to back it up. Frequently, this is just used to kind of secure a clearing they're already in or to reinforce a building they're about to sanctify. I, I can see it being used offensively against the Warlord, maybe, but sure. I agree generally, Kyle. I think you're right. But the good thing about being able to convert Warriors is it does have the impact of slowing the game down pretty significantly. Anytime there's a big Warrior Ball or, you know, anytime that a clearing needs to be ruled in order to move out of it or something, the Lizards can just tip the scales just enough to make it hard to move around and battle and stuff. They, they want to keep the board a little frozen. Um, and so acolytes, when they're used in that way, quite dangerous, you know, very valuable. But as soon as the outcast is just normal and not hated, good God, it's too expensive. Yeah. You just I, like can't spend them. They, they just go too fast and it doesn't do enough. Yeah. it And especially lizards are trying not to have very many bird cards in their hand. They're really not trying to get acolytes. They're hoping they just kind of trickle in a little bit mm -hmm. so they can do a big play at the end or at least threaten to to get their way. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really tough when it's not hated and things aren't lining up. Yeah, but who cares? We're against them yeah, right we're, now. This, we're getting a little sympathetic here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is to say, the outcast is going to be a big factor in... 
um, whether or not their threats are real or just, you know, just words. So here's, I guess, before we move on from from talking about Outcast too much, like, how do you affect Outcast? Because I know you put cards in the discard, but like what's in your hand is and how you use it to your benefit is generally way more important than how you use it to their detriment, right? I don't know. I I could definitely see the the number one faction I see this affecting the most is the Woodland Alliance because they discard a lot of cards with their spreading of sympathy and their supporters and stuff and their va- their bases are very vulnerable to a sanctify. So I could see it being where you would want to spread to certain clearings or not tip the outcast suit to where your bases are. I could see that being a, a real uh, strategic decision. If you are the moles, going for a heavy market strategy is not a bad idea because you can overdraw your hand to have extra cards to throw into the outcast so that you don't get targeted with price of failure when they when they end up sanctifying, right? Right. Um, so I do think there are considerations you can make within a faction to kind of head off the eventual lizard threat. Got yeah. it. I don't think every faction has a good answer, but that was just one that came to me. Sure, sure. And the best way to keep the lizards at a threat level green is just to keep the outcast suit cycling. Yeah. Just make sure that it doesn't become hated. Just kind of cycle it through. It makes it very frustrating for the lizards because they have trouble crafting and it's just too expensive to spend those acolytes. Yeah, I mean, crafting is kind of a nightmare lottery for the lizards. They have to build gardens in a suit, right? And then they have to have a card in their hand that matches those gardens and then wait for the outcast to also be that suit. It happens, and you can craft (laughs) coins like... They usually have two in a suit, and most cards cost two or one to craft, so... Crafting cost isn't usually an issue. It's more like when it can finally fire off Mm -hmm. and are all the coins already crafted by that point. Right. You know, so let's talk about what they need and how to deny them those things. Um, Again, denying them these things is a low priority because they're threat level green. Like you've got probably other things to do here, but let's just talk about it because this is what this episode is. The lizards need cards. Cards are actions for them. The more cards they have, the more actions they're going to take. That's just how it works. They will uh, always be desperate to improve their card draw and card selection. So don't give them anything unnecessarily, especially once they pick up steam. I do think that if you're a Vagabond aiding a lizard player makes a ton of sense. If you're a Vagabond aiding the cats, like both of these are low threat levels. You're a high threat level faction aiding them a card. I don't think it's that big a deal. Getting them on your good side is probably a good idea. And especially if you can go full allied with lizards, if you're the Vagabond, that would be a very good situation for you. And it can happen sooner than you think. Cough, cough, vagrant. But <laughs> And they tend to have trouble being able to battle and become hostile. Right. On their yeah. turn. Exactly. They can't really force that hostility like another faction can, so it makes it a really good pincushion to ally with as the Vagabond. So I don't think you have to stress this enough, but it is important to know what they need uh, because there's going to be ways we're going to be able to deny them this. 
Um, denying them outright, like before they get their cards, is kind of hard to do because their card draw is pretty good and it's very interconnected with their gardens and how they score. So they're very motivated to make all this happen. They're not going to make it easy for you to take it away from them. They're going to stack up four to six lizards in a clearing with a couple gardens. However, they do like dominance cards. <laughs> so let's give a little recap of this little dom swap thing that the lizards like to do. Kyle, can you explain dom swapping? Absolutely. So the four dominance cards, uh, one of each suit, including bird, they have a, a like a little special ability where you can discard a matching suit and pick up that card from its like special place next to the discard pile. For example, if you have a bird card in your hand, you could discard that bird card and pick up a rabbit dominance. You know, the best card in the game. Um, once you have that rabbit dominance in hand, because the lizards have that, you know, qualifier that they, they have a hatred of birds, they must use suited cards in order to score points and complete rituals. So in that way, you can take a bird card from your hand as the lizards, discard that to cycle in one of the dominance cards, one of the suited dominance cards usually, and then use that to score. Once you then discard it to score, it pops back to its special place next to the discard pile, and you can just keep cycling. Uh, lizards like to use that to do two things. One is trade out a bird card for a suited card of their choice. Two, they can actually uh, discard a suited card to pick up another suited dominance card to kind of sway the outcast a little bit. You know, if they want to keep it fox, maybe they'll discard a fox card, pick up fox dominance, and then immediately spend that to score. Right. And because those dominance cards are available for everybody, this is a great way to soft block the lizards out of a car the cards that they are very much seeking in the game. Uh, Nick Al uh, wrote to us, he says, Dom swap to influence the outcast suit also works for other factions other than lizards. Or to a meaner extent, Dom swap and then keep the card in hand jail. And he uh, cites you, <laughs> Kyle, as coming up with the copyright for hand jail. Uh, or by putting it in your decree or retinue. And that's right. You can take the dominance cards away from them by just taking them yourself and not using them. It denies the lizards some flexibility, and with such a rigid faction to begin with, they are looking for every single bit of efficiency they can find in this, you know, just taking away some of their tools, because you totally can if you're paying attention. Sometimes it's enough to set them back a full turn, <laughs> which is so mean, but, you know, you're, we're, we're fighting the lizards, you don't want to put in, like, moves and battles, just take a, dom a dominance card from the pile, it's great. Yeah, slow <laughs> slow down an already slow faction. It's like, um, you know, everyone's bike racing and you just throw a stick into the spokes of the player in last place. You know? Well, something to note, just like while we're on the topic, just to get even a little more granular about it. The thing is, when you discard a dominance card with the lizards in the game, it doesn't go to the special place next to the discard pile. Yep, what happens yep. is it goes to Lost Souls. And then on the lizard's turn is when it will hit the discard pile and then sort itself over to the special area. So once the dominance card starts that cycle, it's going to stay in the lizard's orbit. It kind of like gets into the lizard's orbit from there. So you want to just try and prevent that from happening. Or if they happen to let it slide for one turn, just pick it up. 
I saw some chat on the Discord too of people recommending Otters players take the dominance card and then sell it to the Lizards, which I thought was a pretty smart (laughs) idea too. Not bad. All right, let's talk about another need that the Lizard Cult have. The Lizard Cult needs to control critical clearings. This is what I've dubbed uh, this strategy with the Lizards. A few of the clearings on the map will be inherently super important to the Lizards, all right? So you look for any clearings with multiple building slots, especially if it is the only such multiple building slot clearing of that suit. So, for for example, if all the rabbit clearing uh, clearings on the board have one building slot, except for one of them has two, the lizards are really going to want that clearing as it halves the work that they're going to have to do to keep their bunny suit protected. Okay, They're going to want multiple building slot clearings to put their bases or to put their gardens in. So the solution to this is to go take it instead, right? The the issue is though like this feels dangerous. This feels like you're going to get the ire of the lizards whereas we were earlier throwing a, a stick in their spokes. This is we're taking their bike before they can get on and they're going to want to <laughs> come and get it back, right? Yeah, I I, re- I I was talking to people on the Discord today. I was like, "Do you think it's a good idea to deny them this?" I know it's good like if it's a 1v1 sure Sure. it feels like you're begging to be sanctified right like i would i have said that on multiple occasions Mm -hmm. i'm like i need this clearing Mm -hmm. get get out please choose a different clearing otherwise i'll do what i have to do i'll take it right and i feel like a lot of lizards players even if they won't say it have that mentality it's like well that's where i have to be so that's what i'm going for period right yeah yeah, and zooming out the kind of ideal setup for lizards in order for them to score at a competitive pace, two critical clearings that have at least two building slots each in different suits. Yeah. Because two is the minimum for the draw threshold, right? Right. It means they're drawing three cards at the end of their turn and they can spend two cards to score four points. That's when they're online. The thing is, is you want to prevent them from getting online because like, why would you allow another competitor into the game if, if you can prevent it? So I would say like, Unless you're a faction like the Duchy that's going to get super duper punished for losing a building, go for it. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> what are they going to do? <laughs> it's going to take them, like, three turns to fix it and figure it out. And that could be enough to slow them down enough to make them a non-factor in the game. If the clearing distribution is super unfavorable, like hmm. the way you mentioned, Sam. Right. I, I think I have to strong disagree here. <laughs> I, I, I think the thing is to let them have it. Because let's let's look at the numbers here. If they are scoring four points a turn from turn two on, okay, which is not likely. I'm I'm giving a great scenario for the lizards right now. It is going to take them over seven turns to hit thirty, and there's just not that many turns. They're going to have to pull off extra points in crafting and stuff to even stay viable at the very. Um, generous scenario I've already given to the lizards. So I think if you are able to make it elsewhere in the woodland, you might as well. Yeah, it it may be good to know too, because it's such a pressure point that this is a classic site uh, for a deal. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're like, hey, this is in my orbit. I'm right here. I really want to build some buildings and rabbit so I can craft some stuff. What do you think? lizards oh lizards you want that great well then how about this i'll build somewhere else let you have that next two turns you focus on somebody else to yeah exactly deal with 
like there always is a thing where three players go, well, what can we do about so-and-so? And the Lizards player, who usually doesn't have the most points, is like, I guess I could do it. You know what I mean? I guess yeah. I could save the day for the rest of you. You know? Right. And if you give them a good deal early on, then you might be able to convince them to do it. You know? Like, hey, I, I did the thing for you. Now it's your time to do it for us. You know? Yeah. So, wait a minute. So, Sam, your advice about them, they need to control clinical clearings, and the way we deny that to them is to let them have them? That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> this versus guide is bonkers. <laughs> Much less like the beliefs of this cult. Jake, why did we let Sam write this guide? <laughs> okay. But th that is, all that is to be said you have to understand how important those clearings are to the lizards in order to leverage them to advance your own game plan. Part of your game plan right. might be at a critical moment, I need the lizards to do something that doesn't necessarily help them the most in order to keep the game slowed down so that I have a chance. Right. Is it also about talking your opponents into going and being the hindrance in those critical clearings? So you don't have to be. <laughs> That's a good point as well. If you can kind of bob and weave and, leave some space and then that you they're just setting themselves up to be a future target i mean that's mm -hmm. actually kind of interesting as well like being aware of that kind of the game under the game right i've i've got a person you could call to convince people of this i know a guy his name is walrus law <laughs> <laughs> i feel like crows are actually someone who can answer this call a little bit because as you mentioned earlier the lizards aren't great at dealing with battling so putting down plots is a possible thing for them you in those in, plots, in those targets i know but they don't want to risk cards do they yeah they don't um but you know they don't want to risk losing gardens more no yeah that's true a bomb is gonna lose them a card a bomb's their first guess every time <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just bomb yeah. insurance i never try to yeah. actually guess i just do bomb insurance yeah so then is it the the clutch play to let the lizards have it, have the key clearings and just try and work with them. I think so. Well, I think that that creates the proper level of entanglement that the lizards that, that you want at the table. Truthfully. So let's, let's look at this through from the other angle and just say like, um, it's a four player game. If you can destroy one player and it's a three player game, isn't that obviously better? No, no. Because entanglement is so key in this game uh, that you sometimes are going to rely on that fourth player to keep the other two down. For one of those three players, the answer is yes. For the other mm -hmm. two, it's no. Right. <laughs> and are you sure that you're right? You know what I mean? I feel like that's what it comes down to. So, uh, the, the, F, the advice isn't to deny them this. It's to negotiate with them about it. I, I think, think so. The best, Be yeah. Because okay. we know that their strategy is to slow the game down that is their strat that's their survival on the line right <laughs> is that they do that so they're going to be incentivized to try and slow down whoever the leader is at a given moment if you can earn that cred with them early on it could be decisive it could help you get into that kind of like just behind the leader ready to spike up and win the game Right, and and it's not going to be like, oh, then the lizards won't stop me if I'm about to win, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about. No, but, but you're hoping that they use their acolytes, their glass cannon, yes. on somebody else. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and that can happen in the mid-game, you know? And right. 
and you know critical moments of a root game don't always happen at the end right True. and so it's important to you, you you want as many allies as you can for as long as you can essentially yeah the, I, I don't think we said it explicitly but the lizards can win slay right yes. they can they can slay the leader and turn the whole game on its head yeah so yeah maybe that that is the play is like let them have it get them on your side be a a an operator in good faith at the table that they can rely on. And then yeah, when we're all gunning extent. for somebody who's going to win, they'll help to flip the table over and you can maybe profit from that. Yeah. I mean, if they've got two gardens in all three suits and they're scoring six points a turn, you've probably propped up a winner, you know, and you have to stop <laughs> it at that point, but punch you've garden. got a lot of, you'll see it coming. You know what I mean? Okay. You've got time. All right, so I feel like I'm wrapping my head around the strategy a little better, um, and it it takes a second to see why helping the lizards also helps you, but this is a little bit of a like mutual aid situation in the woodland. Um, you want to help the cult in order to win, you know, it, it, just in the off chance, the one in fifteen uh, chance that this is a game that the lizards are totally killing it. Sam, what are some ways that we can craft against the lizards? How do we okay. countercraft them? Yeah. Well, um, because they re- because the lizard cult reveals cards, it should be easy enough to notice which big items the lizards are going for. You know, the coins or the T's or something. You can see them in their hands. And hopefully you'll be able to shift the outcast suit away from those suits. Okay? So when we talk about countercrafting, this is the faction where we can actually really impact their ability to craft without just the easy thing is just to craft everything and then your opponents can't craft it, right? That's obviously That obviously works for the lizards as well, but it's even easier. You can prevent them from crafting by discarding certain cards a lot of the time. <laughs> so there's two, there's two levels here. One is crafting cards that hurt the lizards. Mm-hmm. Level two is preventing the lizards from being able to craft the things they want to <laughs> yes <laughs> and i mean i think mainly that comes in the form of the items because one of the needs that the lizards have is they need every point that they can get and a really easy to way to deny them is to craft those items or to steer the outcast suit away from it so yeah i i, I do think that there's even more sticks we can throw in the spokes of the lizard cult here yeah if they're showing you coins in their hand because they have to reveal cards maybe keep the outcast out of rabbit <laughs> right uh also they also have to have the rabbit gardens you know that's the other thing too is like if you see that they've got the coins and they don't have the rabbit clearings yet maybe that's a time when you go in to deny them a critical clearing because you know, you can feel the wrath of it a little bit, I guess, you know, take on the lizard heat. But if you're preventing them from getting their gardens up and running, which is their card draw, which is their actions and scoring coins, maybe you think that's worth it. But I would say you really want to make sure that it's not you <laughs> <laughs> that gets hit. Uh, so let's talk about the crafted improvements that counter the lizards here. Um, outside of the basic favors, which are sp- are particularly devastating to the lizards and you know all the usual ones armors because the favors take out their warriors outside of battle therefore don't go to the acolyte box is that why yeah yeah destroy gardens no acolytes um fear of the faithful for each garden lost yeah well it is 
extra so painful painful (laughs) uh the main card here that uh counters the lizards and thankfully for the lizards it is too expensive for another faction to care about crafting is stand and deliver jake you want to read a stand and deliver here sure stand and deliver in birdsong may take a random card from another player that player scores one point you're taking away their cards. You're taking away their actions. You're giving them a point, which won't be the worst thing you can do. You can give <laughs> a lot of other factions points, and it's a lot scarier. Right. I don't think it's worth going out of your way to craft, but it is a notable interaction, I think, between these cards. And if we ever do get Cole Whirly's, uh stand and deliver errata, maybe this will be a bigger question at that time. <laughs> um, I wonder if there are two more in there. One is Royal Claim, mm-hmm. uh, because it speeds up the game. Ooh, yeah, that's good. And, you know, scoring an extra turn's worth of points just brings everybody closer to the finish line or brings you closer to the finish line, which makes it harder for them to win. I thought about uh, that too, Kyle. I think it also is, could be tempting uh, for the Lizards to take away rule of those clearings from you. Fair point. Fair point. Uh, but even so, in doing that, they would be shooting their glass cannon, right? Right. And if you can make up for the points, maybe it is worth it. Yeah, I hear, I can hear that. And the other one I want to advocate for is scouting party, because frequently the lizards will cultivate a hand that has an ambush or two that they are conspicuously showing off in order to dissuade attacks. Yeah. Uh, but if you craft scouting party, if the lizards ever become an issue, you're just going to hack and slash through whatever defenses they've managed to put up. Yeah, I think that's a good shout, too. Um, the Lizards usually, because they have great card draw, will hold on to an ambush, especially a suited one. The issue with ambushes, though, it's like eventually you're going to spend them for points. But Yeah, you it, don't like to play them as the Lizards, actually. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you do like like threatening them, and if you have Scouting Party, then there is no threat. So I do right. think that's a good countercraft, yeah, for sure. The Exiles and Partisans deck has a few more to talk about. First up, we got Charm Offensive. Jake, hit us up with some Charm Offensive. At the start of evening, may draw a card and choose another player to score one point. Yeah, this is classic because you're obviously just giving your point to the person you feel like is in last place, which is Mm -hmm. fun because it's almost always going to be the Lizards if they're in your game. Mm -hmm. So in this way, uh, you're getting extra cards and you're giving them one point. The Lizards are happy for the point. Right, they yeah. need every point they can get, um, but as opposed to a card like Better Burrow Bank, where you actually give them a card, don't give here, them a card. It, that point is at least in the beginning probably not likely to matter. <laughs> don't give them a card. Yeah, don't give them a card. Give them D- a point. Give them a point. Don't give them a card. Also, man, them with a card, them having six cards in hand, ooh, ooh, so intense. Good. Yeah. Oh, Sam just passed out. Hold on, we're gonna pause the recording while we get him back. Mmm, six cards. (laughs) (laughs) All right, another good one here uh, is Marine Broker. And this one, uh, Jake, tell us what Marine Broker does. Marine Broker, whenever another player crafts an item, draw a card. Yeah, you're just (laughs) crafting this so they don't get it. (laughs) You know, just so it doesn't enter the cycle again. If the lizards craft Marine Broker, you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah, you do have a problem, yeah. It It is true. It's a really good craft for the lizards, and you just want to make sure they don't get it. There's only one copy. It's not going to be a big deal unless they get it. So just something to note. 
Um, swap meat, I do think, is a great countercraft to the lizards because above just card draw, lizards are really curating their hand to have the right balance of suits that they need for their next turn. And swap meat is just a real easy way to be like, mm, here, have me a bird card. Those. Yeah, and here's a bird card. Here's a here's even just messing up the suit numbers. So now you have three fox, but you don't have any rabbit. Means you can't score in rabbit. A reminder: swap meat is once in birdsong may take a random card from another player, then give them a card. And it's a picture of an otter with a wagon full of supplies that each have price tags on them. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> yeah. So as you can tell from the art of the card, swap meat would be a great card to craft against the lizards. Uh, so what do you you want to what do you want to give them just what they the suits you think they won't use no bird cards or right. um probably suited cards of things they can't score got it or a tax collector because they can't yeah, craft it. a card they can't craft <laughs> there you go there you go soup kitchens yeah yeah soup kitchens is one too yeah Coffin Makers, another great card. Jake, tell us about the art on the card of Coffin Makers. Ugh, if you don't know Coffin Makers, <laughs> are you even playing Root? <laughs> coffin Makers, whenever any warriors are returned to a supply, place them on this card instead. At the start of Birdsong, you score one point per five warriors here, then return all warriors here to their supplies. The picture, of course, is a Undertaker rabbit doing his work when suddenly a lizard leaps out of a coffin with bones flying everywhere. <laughs> Presumably, there was a corpse in there, and he was hiding in there too, is where I would I take this from. Yeah, I don't know what that guy's doing in that coffin, but... Surprise. Um, it it's does help surprising. you remember that actually the lizard cult it has a weird exception to the rule of this card, which is when lizard cult warriors are removed in defense, they don't go to coffin makers. They go to the acolytes box. Right. And then when you spend the acolytes, they go to coffin makers. Right. I mean, that's just a great card to craft uh, with any faction that's spending extra things to their supply, which the lizards do with their acolytes. It can also be good insurance, right? If you end up being the target of the big glass cannon of the lizards sanctifying and converting and crusading all throughout your clearings, well, at least you're going to score some points from it. <laughs> right. And remember, lizards, if they're converting, that's like double the amount of... Uh, warriors going to coffin makers because yep. the acolytes are going to the supply and the warriors that they're replacing are going to the supply. Wow. Yeah. So uh, coffin makers, a great craft. It doesn't really stop the lizards. It's just a way of benefiting off of their shenaniganry. Yeah. It uses their engine to score more points against them. And that's such a, a craft that the lizards want uh, that it's nice to kind of steal it from them. Mm -hmm. Make sure they don't get it. And then we've got false orders, but not for the reason you might think. Uh, obviously, you could use false orders to clear out a stack of lizards and then hit their gardens, right? Like, we all know that's what false orders is used for. I forgot. Jake, tell us what false orders does. In Birdsong, may discard this card to move half of an enemy's warriors rounded up from any clearing as if you were that player ignoring rule. Yeah, so this is just a good way of... Uh, uh, controlling their clear uh their warriors and you can hit their gardens that's great but also you're discarding this card to the outcast suit which just it's not like you're crafting this card for that reason 
But if you need to get out of a sticky situation where you need to tie the outcast suit or just push it one towards Fox, having false orders just on the ready is a good way of doing that. It also works for the lizard player. Uh, this is more where I've seen the advice for false orders is the lizards can do it in birdsong to kind of like complete their uh, before their check to get it to one fox. But you can also use it as kind of a last-ditch effort for that. Yeah. I understand the logic by of your advice, Sam. It just seems a low priority compared to the primary ability of this card. It is. I just feel like on this podcast, we've sung the praises of the primary ability of False Orders a thousand times. And That's I was, true. I was just like coming up like uh, it was it was getting talked about on the Discord. It was something I hadn't considered. Right. That like, timing window is very cool. Right. Yeah. Because and of Birdsong. Lizards even can, yeah. can uh, discard False Orders during their Birdsong before they check the uh, yeah, outcast. It's definitely a little cooler for Lizards than it is against Lizards, but... Any card that you have that is like discard this to do that, um, usually they trigger. I find, I think most of them are like in battle, right? Like it's dependent on like as a defender in battle. Like I'm thinking like sappers or armorers. Right. Um, the timing windows of those are different, whereas this is much more voluntary, you mean? Right. And okay, a lot of those cards are bird cards. There's right. not a lot of cards that are suited that stick around and you discard at will. Okay. So, that makes more sense to me. Great. Yeah. Just because I feel like if I were to ever discard, discard false orders in a game to sway the outcast suit, um, uh, it feels like a sad reason to use false orders. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's it's fair. It's not optimal. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. It's time for everybody's favorite section of the guide. E have a lizard problem if listener i did not extend that audio at all that was natural <laughs> sam has gotten 85 years older since the last time we recorded a podcast <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's become a looney tunes hunter like either yosemite <laughs> sam or fud i'm not sure if the lizards have two gardens in two colors and they are a point contender you might have a lizard problem. This is what we talk about with lizards being online. If they're scoring four points a turn, that's a pretty good amount of points every turn. Uh, and it's kind of balanced by the fact that they haven't scored points earlier in the game. But if they've already made that up with some clever crafts or getting some points from the pass or uncovering passes or something like that, then that is a problem that they're online and competitive with your scoring just as threatening in that scenario is the fact that they're drawing three cards at the end of their turn i assume because two in each of two colors yeah it's fully online baby makes sense okay you might also have a lizard problem if they have crafted better burrow bank or marine broker anything that's going to get them extra cards even swap meet is not quite as dangerous because it's not extra cards but uh, those cards that give them over five cards in their hand, you might have a lizard problem, a Bruin, if you don't have one already. Yeah, be be sensitive to card advantage when it comes to the lizards. Anything they craft to help them out with that, especially if it's like early-ish in the game, can have a lasting impact. The more they can curate their hand, the the more efficient their turns will be, and that's the main way that they can control how well they do in the game. So... I, even something like swap meet, I think is 
worth paying attention to and just saying like, hey, we might have a problem soon. Better Borough Bank feels like a red alert. Yeah, that's a card <laughs> to turn on top of whatever shenanigans they're gonna pull in Birdsong. Yeah, yeah in so Birdsong, they get to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yep. really good, really good card for that. And that that means they get to impact the outcast at the end of their turn by discarding. Mm-hmm. It's hard. If the lizards have a fat stack of acolytes, and you can't discard cards well, like you're the Eerie Dynasties. Or another, or the Lord of Hundreds, who doesn't have a lot of cards to spare, you might have a lizard problem. Yeah, said differently, if the outcast continues to be hated turn after turn after turn, and they got all those acolytes and they can just spend them the most efficiently they can, that's going to lead to a problem. Yeah. I want to ask a question here because earlier in our episode here, we said that the acolyte numbers aren't as threatening as. You know, they might seem, but all of a sudden we're talking about lots of acolytes being threatening. The focus and emphasis on this is like what's going on with the outcast, because that discount from it being hated is too heavy to ignore. Exactly. And especially if it's turn after turn, it's just too easy to lightly influence everything. And I I don't know, I think like converting warriors at maximum efficiency can be really scary after a while sure because at least most factions don't have the ability to recruit for free that much right and the lizards tend to stick around so i i don't know i would say it's more about the outcast than it is the number of acolytes usually you just got to be on your guard if they have a bunch yeah so that you don't overextend anything's a problem they they'll pay the three to ruin your day and they still have five left over you yeah, know? if the, you're talking about what, what's the critical mass of acolytes? Do you think, Sam? Is to it be, five to be threatening, no matter what's going on? Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's six or more. Six or more. Okay. Yeah, just the idea that they could do any one of those actions and and still have a bunch left over is yeah problem. Because I mean, think about it: six acolytes with an a hated outcast. That's a sanctify, two sanctifies, and two converts. Right. So be aware. Six or more acolytes. <laughs> <laughs> I got another one here, folks. Uh-huh. If the game is stretching on, and we're talking like more than seven rounds kind of situation, and the lizards haven't been shattered, <laughs> you might have a lizard problem. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. In an eight or nine, mostly a nine round game, the lizards could do it. Oh, yeah. Even if they didn't seem that threatening they can yeah, make it happen if they've been hit they can do it in nine if they've been shattered they probably can't yeah <laughs> emotionally they just couldn't. emotionally yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's a lot they've had a big day guys come on <laughs> uh so cold-blooded here on woodland war machine yeah all right so there are some select situations where the lizards do pose a problem in those situations what do we do Well, we got to check them. And there's only a couple ways to check the lizard cult because they do such a good job of getting in their own way. Uh, The first way and the most effective way is triggering fear of the faithful, Mm. which we've Ah! talked about. (laughs) We've talked about it at length here. For every garden that's removed, you'll lose a random card from your hand. That's it, right? That's it. That's all. I know. There's really it, nothing else. It's really not even that bad, I think you'd say. 
Mm, the <laughs> thing is how interconnected everything is for the lizards. Yes. You know, it's going to be pretty brutal for them to come back, especially because we know that most of the time that means they're losing two cards. <laughs> I'm not trying to rehash things. I'm just trying to shoot straight, bro. Just trying to shoot straight. So here's the advice, though, from this perspective is if you can if you can hit their gardens, hit two of their gardens. Yeah. And that will usually be the case. How do you hit their gardens? By beating them to death with a bunch of warriors? I mean, what's, yeah. the, like, what's yeah, the best usually. way to get to them? Because, I mean, lizards amass. They tend to be clumped up together. They tend right. to want to... They know that this is their weak point, right? Yeah. This is the thing, is that over the course of the game, it tends to be more and more and more reinforced. Uh, a, a critical clearing, that is. There's just no cute way to do it. You just got to go in and wreck them yeah. pretty much you got you're probably gonna have to battle like three times to get through like all five or six warriors that they have mm. and at the end you just hit the gardens and you know even though they get acolytes out of it usually that's not enough to get back in the game for another turn or two right yeah we talked about watching the outcast suit basically this entire guide so we don't really need to get into what that means but yeah that is Frustrate the, uh, the outcast as much as you can. Yeah, that is seriously one of the best ways to avoid being checked by them and a great way to prevent them from using their acolytes to further their own game. And then let's talk for a moment, because Jake, you're like, what? We just bash all these warriors? Well, there are five exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> There's sympathy, mobs, sure. favors, bombs, and scorched earth. Okay. okay. All of these things will blow up a clearing and clear out the gardens at the very least. The mobs will leave the lizards. But uh, this is a great way to trigger fear of the faithful without having to battle your way through the fat stack of warriors. And this ensures that the lizards won't get the acolytes you would normally give them by battling them. That is true. I like that you put them in, uh, in order of most to least common yeah <laughs> <laughs> because i think sympathy and mobs are the two kind of most likely situations where you're going to lose gardens mm -hmm. uh, without battling a bunch the mobs are like super lethal yeah like lobs are mobs feel like they're made to counter the lizards they do i would rather have a mob token than a sympathy token right well, the, <laughs> the detonation of it is is all their cardboard, and they don't always have an option to deal with stuff in clearings. I just find that um, the Lord of Hundreds wants to totally take over a clearing, right? They don't want any lizard warriors there. Right. Uh, so, so, like, the mob just taking away the gardens, unless the warlord comes in there and then battles away all the things, which will get me the acolytes... Then sure. all I need to do is to have cards to replace the gardens there. I don't have to take the two or three turns it would take to build up the acolytes required to put down the risky garden. So I would much rather have a sympathy revolt or I would much rather have a mob token in my clearing and have that go off than have a sympathy revolt. Well, yeah, a sympathy revolt would be worse, I obviously, but it's so much easier. Isn't it easier for the mob to get in there a little bit because of how quickly they, that can spread? It takes so little effort for the Lord sometimes. 
Yeah, gardens uh, thematically, as you can imagine, seem especially flammable. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then the last way to check, and we've been kind of hinting at this throughout the guide, is to race. Yeah, go fast. Score points. Yeah. Leave them in the dust. Don't let the game go on for eight turns or eight rounds, and then you should be fine. Yeah. (laughs) I think that should be the priority most of all. Um, but if you are in the lead, expect that the rest of the table is going to convince the lizards to come after you. Right. All right. Can we do some special teams? I'm excited about this section. All right. Okay. So there's basically like two things that I want to talk about with special teams. (laughs) One is gardens have a special property. Wherever a garden is, the lizards automatically rule that clearing no matter what. Full stop. This has the effect of any clearing that has a garden is like a no-go zone for warriors because they would just get stuck there right you Mm -hmm. can't go through a clearing that has a garden in it unless you rule the clearings on either side Mm -hmm. some special exceptions but think about it this way if the lizards have a garden in the middle of the map it kind of has this effect of kind of preventing the edges of the map from being able to come together like you can't like pass through lizard territory to like go attack someone else and so I, i find it a bit interesting in games where the lizards have a strong, like, central presence, it has this effect of slowing the aggression down pretty significantly. Like, the lizards are lizards are taking a bit of a risk by being so central, like, being accessible to armies. But at the same time, they're kind of fulfilling their objective at slowing the game down. So, in terms of special teams, be sensitive to where they're building those gardens if they're trying to maintain like a strong central presence, decide whether that's good for you or not. Mm-hmm. If it if you really need to access the other side of the board, if you have to go and hit your opposition, you cannot tolerate gardens standing in the way. If you prefer to be a little more turtly, if you're like the, the duchy or something and you just want to like sit and score points, then absolutely maintain that. It's like a shield. Right? It just prevents warriors from getting in. Uh, So be sensitive to the placement of those gardens and the way it's going to affect you and while you're attacking, you know, the other players at the table in addition to the lizards. Uh, So that's that's special teams. Part one It's just sort of strategically of an overview. That's interesting. Yeah. Part two. Acolytes are the cannonballs for the lizards. Glass. (laughs) (laughs) You can arm the lizards by just attacking random lizards. And giving them acolytes. So if it's in a late game situation, you need the lizards to stop the leader. There's two ways you can help. One is by attacking random lizards, giving them acolytes. Two is by making sure that the outcast is going the way that you need it to go. Uh, So it's one of those weird situations sometimes at the end of a game where you're helping the lizards by attacking them. Right. This can work the other way as well, and notably it did in, I think, Sam, was it your game with Lily when she was the Lizards? Yeah. Where you had a charismatic leader as the, yeah. the Eerie, you needed to battle somewhere. And so Lily was just recruiting Lizards in your territory so that you could battle them and get your battle done. And at the same time, she's gaining acolytes from all that. Right. Uh, a little bit of a symbiotic special relationship there. Very cool. Yeah, for sure. How do you determine the, that the cannonballs won't hit you, though, Kyle? Uh, it's a good question. I think usually the situation where you would want to arm the lizards is when you're very clearly working towards the same goal of checking an imminent uh, yep. leader or winner. Got it. 
when you're trying to engineer a wind sleigh, mm-hmm. that's when you would want to take such a step. Um, also possible during like a little mid-game play too, especially if you have a good relationship with the lizards starting early on. You know, possible to you know do a little mid-game check. Mm-hmm. You have listed here Vagrant, Sam, and I want to hear you expand a bit on this. What's the special teams with Vagrant? Yeah, me and the Discord were talking about Vagrant because Vagrant is the everyone's new favorite Vagabond. (laughs) Um, Because uh, getting to an allied status with Vagrant can happen very fast, and there's not much the lizards can do about it because of their limited battle actions. It makes it so that Vagrant can really take full advantage of the Lizard Cult. At the same time, aiding the Lizard Cult extra cards on their turn. So it's another symbiotic relationship between the two. Again, I think Vagrant makes up better, especially if they can move all of the Lizards away from the gardens when they get full allied and then come back and snipe the gardens thus ending their beautiful friendship. Um, I think that the Vagrant has the upper hand, but it is just a notable interaction that I thought needed to be uh, spoken of. Yeah, very interesting. Also, I think, couldn't they use the instigate action to make the lizards the defender in order to give them acolytes as well? Oh, wow, right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's that's what I thought was what we're talking about, was like making them fight all the time. No, it's it's that Vagrant is everyone's favorite aid farming vagabond. Right, right. True, true. Interesting. But yeah. No, but yeah, it kind of works double. All right. That's special teams. And that wow. is the guide of playing against the lizards. Yeah. Again, just play a normal game of root and try to win. <laughs> That's what we're telling you. Uh now That's not the what we told cult- them. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? That's not what we told them. We told them so many better things than just that. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Uh, In conclusion, folks, the Lizard Cult is a self-defeating, luck-driven glass cannon. (laughs) You can usually count on them to be behind in points without a way to move or battle. But if you are not constantly paying attention to what they are capable of, you just might find that you've become part of the cult. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I want to do a a special thank you to all the people who have joined the Patreon. This has been uh, so special that we've started this. Um, We are sending out things to kind of get your feedback on the show. You can submit ideas for episodes we always want to hear. Submitting questions and answers for Root Purdy is going to be especially helpful, especially we're having Garrick samples on at some point, and we're going to need some questions that can even stump Garrick, so that'll be hard. Um, and in general, we just kind of want to hear your feedback on the show. What do you think is worse? Price of failure or fear of the faithful? Oh we God. just want to hear all <laughs> what you have to say. Uh, so don't forget uh, to uh, subscribe to the show. You can rate this show on your podcast app of choice, including Spotify now has podcast r- ratings. So feel free to give this five stars or or don't rate it. Those are your options. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are the two. I know that theoretically you could go on and give it lower stars, but consider that not an option. That's not really a good strategy. We mm-hmm. not we're not going to recommend <laughs> you give this any less than five you stars. You might have a problem if you give this less than five stars. <laughs> uh, so join our Discord too. Good Time Society has a Discord. In that Discord, we have the Woodland War Machine channel. Um, there's also a special channel for patrons and uh, channels for all the great shows we have here 
on Good Time Society, including Jake's To Boldly Watch, where he covers, he's watching Star Trek The Next Generation, which I just started watching. Welcome. Welcome to the crew, Sam. It's great. It is great. I love how um, rule-followy all everyone in Star Trek is. They're like, yeah. now we've heard that these Ferengi are deceptive and have lied to us as early as two episodes ago, but our hands are tied. We really got to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. Let's have them beam directly into the bridge yeah. where we have all of our sensitive <laughs> technology. <laughs> It's also uh, it's it's fun to ride the line of what is a story plot point and what is a budget decision where they're like, well, we don't have time to use the transporter room today because we don't have it lit. So they're going to transport directly to the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like that's the fun conundrum of like diplomats in space, because that's largely what the crew of the Enterprise is. They're not like gung ho warriors. The opposite. They are trying to spread peace and prosperity. So they feel like the U.N. of space where they're like, (laughs) we we technically don't even make decisions we're just here uh trying to let you guys know that you're in breach of contract (laughs) well i'm only Um, one of three wonderful people on that podcast uh xander genre a uh prolific star trek fan and my co-host becca scott joined me on that as well and we have a lot of uh fun on that we're in the fourth season as of this recording so you can find that wherever you get your podcast check it out to boldly watch yeah well, that's all we got. Join the Patreon. Join the Discord. It's good to be back, folks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, I love doing this show. I love talking Root. And we are uh, probably the Marauder expansion is going to be coming out sooner than later. Oh, any, so any week now. Yeah. Is that true? I don't know, but I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I've assumed that for months. <laughs> <laughs> this is like right about the time when it was originally supposed to be close to happening. So yeah. I think it's probably going to be like two months from now. Sure. Yeah. Cole said in the design diary that there is an update. It's all good news, but he did not give us what that update. And is. that's not to throw shade on them. There's been a crazy supply chain crisis, so that's it's not all in their hands or anything. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. I've 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 got several Kickstarters that are having a lot more drama than absolutely. Also, Lunar New Year. It's going to be a whole thing with shipping. Totally, totally. All the bats. <laughs> so many bats. <laughs> Well, it's because the captains of the ship can't navigate by moonlight because it's the Lunar New Year. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, well, if there wasn't the bat strike of 2022, (laughs) they'd be right on track. But let's do some Ruperty. Folks, if you want to hear the rest of the Ruperty section of this podcast, join the Patreon. That's the only way to hear it. Oh, it's going to be so good. Uh, Yes. Sam, why don't you bring us into this and introduce the categories as well? All right, so here we go. For Root Pretty today, we have four categories, as we always do, ranging from one, three, or five points. And the uh, four categories are six-letter words, (laughs) permanently removed, faction exceptions. This is where I say the name of the law, and you tell me which faction is the exception to that rule, according to Syria's, you know, Root thing that i i hold sacred and the fourth category is material world those are all madonna questions that's correct okay <laughs> who goes first sam uh wait shouldn't we close out the episode proper or are you gonna sure. edit it i'll either way it will be edited okay all right then let's not let's do it, it now <laughs>
Well, if you're not a Patreon, we'll have to see you guys next time when we all like to shout. <laughs> what? <laughs> all right, let's we try that one again. We weird transitions, <laughs> but that one, that one was weird. I didn't have a good concept, so I just started hey, saying I words. I love that you started running down that hill and saw how steep it was and just kept running. <laughs> I appreciate that. If I would have tried to stop, I would have fallen to my death. So you're like uh, you're like Sam's dog Rosie, who will run so fast she'll run into a fence because she just doesn't know how to stop. Uh, she's too fast. Hundred percent. She's true. too fast. She's yeah. Too fast. Well, I mean, you don't want to be going so fast that you end up tripping on a. Woo! <laughs>